Our guest today has a master's degree in counseling. She's a committee member of North Carolina's Lupus Foundation of American External Affairs. She's the author of Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus and is donating her brain to Harvard upon her death. Welcome to the podcast, Amanda Che. Tell us more about yourself. Yeah, well, hey, you told it all. I'm giving that brain up and wrote a book and learned some things. <laughs> well, did you know that when you donate your brain to Harvard, I'm donating it because I do have lupus. All you need to do on my will, it just says, call this phone number. Wow. Oh, wow. That's it. I told them, hey, I'm going to give you my brain. They said, okay. And then you, I died. They just called. <laughs> How easy. My family's like, okay. Too <laughs> my easy. Uh, attorney was like, okay. <laughs> All right. So th there's more to me than my brain. Um, so yes, my name is Amanda. I live in the lovely state of Raleigh, North Carolina, where it's a little bit cold. Um, I do have a degree in counseling that I really did not use a lot of. It was a lot once I had that degree and I learned how little we get paid for that. Oh, yes. Um, yes Don't yes. tell me about that. Oh, no. Well, I, I won't tell you then. No. Black surprise one day. Yes. <laughs> so I, I do have lupus, which is a chronic incurable autoimmune disease. So just in case your listeners don't know anything about lupus, sometimes autoimmune diseases are very specific. Like I have something called Sjogren's also, of course, right? And this one usually attacks the moisture producing cells of the eyes and the mouth. And so actually, it's so awesome because you sound like one of my patients that I treated for like two years and I learned all these cool things from her, like chagrins oh, yeah, and yeah. lupus and all these awesome things. I, I learned so much from, you know, when people come in and educate me because otherwise I would have never known. I know. I hear you. Right. Yeah. So that, that's how life it's cultivated a lot towards what we already know and we're interested in. So uh, lupus is heterogeneous, which just means it can affect everything in the body. It's not uh, very, very targeted. So for me, it means that I have joint pain, it's normal. I'll walk the dog in the morning and be like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> Even though all I did was walk the dog, I get mouth sores. I sometimes lose my hair, which is really upsetting. Um, in addition to having you know, ongoing brain fog and having uh, a lot of blood issues, meaning like white blood cells low or platelets are low and vitamin D is low. And these are just common things that people go through when they have lupus because it usually takes between five to seven years to get a diagnosis, which is extremely long. And that's because it shows up uniquely like a snowflake, right? They say no two snowflakes are alike. And that's the same with lupus. So one person can just have this kind of a stereotypical rash on their face and maybe be fine and dandy. And some people, unfortunately, you know, still lose their lives. Like last week, I heard of a 48 year old woman who died and a 27 year old woman who died uh, I guess I shouldn't follow the word lupus on Google, but it is a very humbling disease. Mm. How did, I'm yep. curious how lupus manifested for you. Like, was is mm. it a genetic thing? Is it something that's triggered? Great question. What you, we know so far, and there's a lot that is not known. We know that there's a genetic variation. So we hold these in our genes, but it, these variations hold out, right? They just wait until a perfect environmental trigger comes. Now for me, it was when I was pregnant with my first daughter for some reason, even though I was really healthy when I got pregnant, I was extremely sick, like seven hospitalizations, multiple feeding tubes. And right then it was not about like, hey, what the hell happened to you? It was basically like, oh, let's keep this woman alive 
um, to keep her baby. And if we can't keep her baby, let's just keep her alive. And so no one really looked at it. So that pregnancy, that really tough pregnancy was my trigger and lupus burst out and it's kind of there to stay. Now with my 23 year old daughter who has lupus, which for your listeners is not very common, but she got lupus as a result. I mean, of course I gave her the genes, but she got it when she had mono in college her freshman year. I know, right? But you know, I just heard someone the other day who um, actually it's terrible. She got hit by a truck mm. and she ended up with mono with mono, with lupus. Oh, so gosh. it sometimes it is these things that you think are seem so crazy, like what? That's like, ridiculous. But it's basically the body being so hurt and so injured that it just can't protect itself and mm. and it comes on. So this environmental trigger is one as well. Wow. So I'm realizing for this episode I'll probably talk a bit more because I have an autoimmune disease. I have Hashimoto's, so I'm immediately very interested. Um, So I'm really curious because I was reading all about you and I saw that you taught fitness classes, you're into yoga, Mm -hmm. you were doing all these things, and then you get this diagnosis. Like, what was Mm -hmm. your mental state around that? What were you thinking? Like, (laughs) because for me, I know I was like, I thought I was doing everything right. I'm taking all these vitamins. I'm working out. And then boom, I can't hardly walk up the stairs. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I'll tell you in two phases. My first phase is I was diagnosed first with Sjogren's, although I, I know I've had lupus all along, but lots of things didn't line up. And so I was like, oh, hell no, 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 no yeah. one is going to tell me what to do. I am not right. taking medicine. Have you not seen me? You know, I was teaching all these like um, boot camps uh, at colleges. I was like a beast, all these push-ups. Yeah. And I would just be like, no, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm going to show someone who's boss. Uh, that didn't go very well. <laughs> I, I was not really great at that. Um, I kept, you know, I would teach a class and cry. I'd come home and cry. Mm-hmm. You know, just what you want from your instructor <laughs> on the couch. Eventually, I got diagnosed with lupus. And that was the one that really like kicked my ass into reality of, okay, no, 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 we have to take our medicine. It was a, a, a total mind shift because it's a much more serious disease. But mm-hmm. I will tell you that there are many times I have worked out since I was 18, you know, that's 30 years consistently, you know, when no one wants to, I have eight, you know, healthy my whole life. I have done all of these things, mindfulness trials. And so I was really angry. I'm like, what the hell universe? I have done all of these. I have, I hold the doors open for people. I say, thank you. It (laughs) just felt like a really unfair situation. I could eat those Doritos all the time and sat on the couch, but I didn't. Yeah. But, but. I happened to be on a Facebook group for lupus and that stuff is a a little wacky, wild and out there. And I remember seeing some woman who had talked about having, having eight teeth removed. And I'm not saying that has anything to do with lupus, but I was like, it was just the realization that I could be much worse. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was like, it was a total mind shift that I had to be like, okay, this sucks. I didn't want it. And yes, life is not fair. But I still hold control of part of my health, and that is life changing. Mm-hmm. Because even though lupus has stolen away part of it, there's still a remaining piece. And if I just squander that away, or I'm angry or I'm resentful all the time, I'm not going to be able to take control of those other pieces. And so that's really the the cursor that started the whole change and really the reason why I decided to write a book. Because if I felt like that, surely other people felt like that. And if we could learn, there are small things that we do every single day that don't involve some fancy program. You don't have to, you know, join this 
church and wear the stupid shirt or drink this dumb thing. But instead, if we work on these little areas, perhaps that would allow you to take better control of your health and feel just a little bit more empowered and better off when you dealt with this disease. That's beautiful. I love how the empowering take on it just because I remember feeling very disempowered and feeling like I'm just, I was just always on the edge of giving up, but then the small things really add up. And I'm curious what kind of the small things were for you. Cause I'm sure at first it was a, like probably way less manageable than it is now. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so- yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah. In the beginning you're overwhelmed. You're yeah. lonely. Yeah. You don't know anyone who has lupus, you know, you just feel like this is terrible and your family's like, we're here for you. And I'm like, screw you. You know, yeah. Yeah, I know you mean well, but you <laughs> oh know, my God, you know yeah. how do you feel today? I feel bad. How do you feel? I still feel crappy, you know? <laughs> so, um, how I began to make sense of it. That was your question. Correct. I, I lost my brain in the, the little, little things that you did. Oh, yeah, okay, to get little, through little it. Thing. Thank you. Thank you. And, Thank you for the redirector. And, and I will tell you that I, I notice how, what a wonderful sense of humor you have. And I can see that you laugh at yourself sometimes. And sometimes you yeah. laugh at other people and you notice these. Yeah. So I think one of those little things you did was you kept a sense of humor, even probably that I was not humor. easy. Yeah. yeah. And I have lots of therapy. Mm-hmm. Remember oh, I had yeah. that mental health counseling degree. I have, I have put myself into lots of therapy, mm-hmm. but I do think it's the small things in life that are the most important. Now we all want to like, I mean, maybe not all of us run a marathon or our I'm Mount Kilimanjaro or Everest. We think it's these big things in life that make us who we are, that are like, oh, I I have written a book and people are like, wow, but really it's not. It's the small, simple things that we do every single day that make up who we are. And they are the core of our health. Like it's a little cold this morning. I don't want to walk the dog, but I walk my dog. She wants to go. I, I walk every single day, twice a day. I get many miles in. And then I don't have a phone. I literally just breathe in some air. Mm. I watch her. I find happiness and joy. That is a part of our health. Health is not just, you know, what we eat and how we exercise. There are many different components. I think there's at least eight components of your health. And so that's really what you'll find throughout the book are small things like, hey, we always breathe. Maybe we can learn to optimize how we breathe. Like when we're stressed out, can we really instead of holding our breath, learn to breathe a little bit longer. Maybe can we just find time to notice that you're breathing throughout the day? So there's different areas across that the book are like that. A a big one has to do with stress. Uh, There's different components about it that we think stress is bad and doom and gloom. And it's not, it's not always bad for us. Uh, So there's many things that I have accumulated through living a life of what I've always been fascinated with was kind of like how to be as healthy as I can be. And so I wanted to make sure that that information was both scientific and it was easily digestible in the book. I didn't want any big words. I wanted to, I mean, I feel I'm very revealing in the book about many of my errors that I made sometimes too much, but that's okay. Because if I can show people that, Hey, I know something and I still screw up again. And then I come back to the table for myself that maybe people can do the same and give them themselves their own grace. That we are human and that even though sometimes we yeah. know it, we still screw up. Of course. Up. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And that we don't have to climb Mount Everest to mm. have a successful or a happy life. That if we do those little things like walking your dog in the morning and finding great, you know, finding gratitude in just those yes. little activities, then perhaps... 
perhaps we have a chance at feeling good, even if we're diagnosed with a chronic condition. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I was uh, talking to someone once, I thought this was super fascinating, and she had some autoimmune disease, and she was telling me uh, something similar that resonated. And basically, when you come up with this chronic disease or this incurable disease, your life gets really narrow, right? Each day, you only have this much energy, right? It, It falls in between here. And so I become and have become very, very selective on who I led in my life, on like what events I go to, what things I want to watch, because I know I only have this much energy and I am no longer willing to give a piece of this away to someone who I don't feel is deserving or who exhausts me or uh, that I have to argue with. And I thought that was really fascinating. I I don't know um, if you have noticed that as well, Sophie, but Definitely. <laughs> it's, uh, it's kind of unfortunate that we, you know, get to a point where our, our life has that, that we then sharpen, because I would love for women to be able to sharpen that at a much earlier time. But nonetheless, I'm learning to give myself some grace and be like, it's okay. If I catch it now, then even the better going forward. Well, you know, it just sounds like what you've learned is that you know, sometimes people look at diet this way. I can only eat certain types of food for my body to live in a in a in a balanced way, right? Mm-hmm. But people don't look at uh, events in life or people in life as something that could either either strengthen them and give them more energy or deplete them from energy, right? So it sounds like mm-hmm. this condition kind of forced you to sort of look at your life and decide, okay, I can't live a buffet lifestyle right now. <laughs> I need to pick what strengthens me because I I, I need strength. So you kind yes. of pick and choose what you're going to do, which I think is a very smart, brilliant idea for anyone. I agree. And yeah. I, I believe I saw something recently. I, so don't quote me, but I believe I saw something about People who have autoimmune diseases, I think I was, it might have been specifically Hashimoto's or maybe more broad, I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. that were commonly people pleasers, um, perfectionist type. What? What? That's <laughs> clearly not true. <laughs> Couldn't be me. <laughs> Damn it. Well, I wish we would know. be recording video because her, her facial expressions are so just amazing. I love it. <laughs> She's like, what? What? We'll start <laughs> Well, you know, that that points to the fact that I I think I've read the stat is 80% of all autoimmune diseases are women with lupus. There's 1.5 million Americans that have lupus and 1.35 million are women. Mm. Of course. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We we don't know exactly why, but yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm working. Um, I told you I'm in a lot of therapy, group therapy, individual therapy, you know, because I think it's really important. There's a lot of things going on. Mental health definitely increases with lupus. But um, one thing I'm working on with my people pleasing is no longer will you see me in Target or standing behind you and TJ Maxx complimenting you, which I would love to do. Be like, hey, how? oh, that's so nice. I love your purse. I love your shoes. But because Mm. now I am in control of uh, intentionally in control of my energy and I still love that person's shoes but I no longer need to show them that I'm kind and likable oh. because I know I am so I just stand there and if they say something to me of course I'll talk to them but these are some of the things that I have become um, really selective on or really uh, aware of when it comes to what I have to give this world and what I need from me wow that is I have never heard it put like that where you're 
because now I'm like, oh, when I complimented that lady's nails, like, was I trying to prove to myself, like, I'm an, I'm nice, I'm cool, am I? Was it feeling awkward? So I wanted to make sure they like me, even though they're just mm-hmm. um, giving me a coffee at the drive-through, or wow. maybe it's all of it. We do have, you know, socially, women have a high need to be liked. It is socialized in us to please and to fit in and mm-hmm. to chop our arms off to fit into whatever it is. Whereas men, oh, are, you need my arm, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, here it is. I don't need it. Whereas men yeah. are socialized typically. I mean, things are changing, of course, right now, but men are typically socialized. You know, you're supposed to do what makes sense and you're supposed to please your needs. You're not supposed to see the whole picture and see how all of that's affecting, you know. It's, we could go into that rabbit hole for a long time, but. Yeah, it's really a really fascinating arena. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love so the we'll mental health aspect of. I love talking about the mental health aspect of autoimmune diseases because I'm not sure if anything is really perfectly scientifically explained yet, but I always see these little things and I'm like, hmm, and I just draw all these connections with my own life. But um, so I'm so having an autoimmune disease usually is an invisible illness. And can you talk about the impact that had on you? Oh, yes. An invisible illness or invisible disability just means that on the outside, the, per- the person looks perfectly healthy, but inside, usually some storms are raging. Now, um, commonly in our society, we give our compassion based on what we can visually see. Oh, you know, even let's even think of a dog. Oh, that dog is limping, that poor dog. Let me just carry the dog home. Oh, you broke your arm, you, you hurt your, you know, your eye, something like that. We give compassion based on what we perceive. And so that's where there's a lot of issues that come up because so many people are suffering. Uh, Most autoimmune diseases are invisible. Uh, Most, if not all, mental health illnesses, you know, neurological diseases, even think of um, some gastro. There's a lot that we don't know that's going on with individuals. And uh, it's not infrequent for someone who maybe learns, who knows me and learns that I now have lupus or they see me and they'll be like, oh, you look so good. And really, I mean, you feel terrible. And I'm always like, I I feel good today. So I'm not an example today, but Mm -hmm. I would just be like, can you not see how terrible I am? And then you have to either convince them that you're terrible. And I mean, why do you want the energy to convince them they're terrible? Or you just, you know, suck it up and don't really show people what you're going through. So I mm-hmm. think it is a um, an ongoing, you know, duality of having this a disease that no one can see that you either have to beg for attention or you sell yourself short or don't really explain who you are by just brushing it off. It's, it's very complicated. And even from the provider's point of view, you know, when patients come in and they have some of these conditions, you know, of course, they're coping with so much mental health stuff on top of their mm-hmm. physical, uh, you know, disabilities that, like you said, nobody can see. And then a lot of them cannot work, right? Because it's unpredictable. It's you just don't know when you're going to have an attack or exacerbation mm-hmm. of symptoms. So some of them cannot go to work. And then they apply for social security disability, right? And then you, you go through this long process of trying to convince the auditor or someone that's approving, you know, someone on the other side of the desk, um, what this patient is going through. And mm-hmm. Oh my goodness, the red tape and the, you know, and I get it, you know, a lot of this has to happen, right? But it's just such an exhausting process for the patient 
who then feels completely misunderstood by society, uh, feels mm. blamed, feels, you know, like a lot of the times that patient wants to work, but they just can't. And then mm-hmm. they, they feel like they're a burden on society or, you know, there's just mm-hmm. so many layers to this. So it is. And one thing I've learned that's been really helpful is that I will often tell, um, you know, my lupus friends or friends where I go through a lot, I always say, how are you today? How are you because today? I'm not making assumptions. Yeah. I don't care. You know, if I, if they look great, maybe it's like, oh, your hair looks great. You know, I'm not saying to them, you look great. Oh, you feel terrible. You know, I'm just saying, how are you doing today? You know, what's going on with you and how can I support you? Because that means a lot, I think, based on just where you are in this exact moment. Mm-hmm. I love that. I have a, a friend who also was diagnosed with Hashimoto's and then it and then develop lupus as well. And we always start our conversations with, are you, are you in a place where you can listen? Do you want advice or do you just want me to listen? And Mm. we always lead with that on both ends. And it's, and it's just so great to be understood. Um, Mm. yeah, it's, it's really hard dealing with people who, who don't understand or can understand really. It's, it's pretty hard to understand when you're seeing someone and they look like, Oh, everything's great. But then, you know, deep down, because I've, I've dealt with that. Like, sure. for example, I was I when I was really sick and I was still getting a hold on everything. And my sister was like, you should just come stay with me for a bit and I'll take care of you. And then when I went there, it just wasn't like that. And I just felt super mm-hmm. judged and all that. And partially, mm-hmm. probably maybe in my head as well. Um, and there, it just builds like resentment and, and stuff it does. Uh, for me, at least. Um, well, and it's true. You know, there's there are some people in my family that I don't know, they, they don't know how to handle me with lupus. And so there's been times where I've said like, here's what the expectation is and they mm-hmm. haven't met it. And I think I've even done it like another time. Here's my expectation and it's not met. And then that's my choice, right? If you ask yeah. someone, you know, you tell someone, Hey, I want to be treated like this and they choose not to, uh, that's their choice. But it's also my choice to now not go to them for that. And that's fine. You know, part of it is kind of learning the, the parameters of what you allow people in your life. You know, it really goes, there's a, a chapter in the book on boundaries, which I thought was one of the most interesting ones out there. You know, certainly women and, and having these boundaries and, oh, no, thanks for the offer. I won't be able to do that. No mm. explanation, no need to to reschedule. Uh, boundaries are, are hard for a lot. A of lot of people. people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But they <laughs> are, they are, uh, uh, the quote is, um, boundaries are the invisibility cloak that protects you against the choppy waters of life. Mm. Can you can you tell us just a little more to highlight what the book title is and maybe just like what it goes into, just so that the listeners sure. can figure out if that's the book they want to read, because I want to read it too. I yes, didn't yes, yet. Thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, hopefully you have that copy. If not, make sure I, I can get it to you. So it's called The Girlfriend's Guide to Lupus. And the tagline is how to control your shitty diagnosis. Now the how to control your diagnosis doesn't mean that you can alter the lupus that you have, but it does mean that you can control the health that you still, that still remains in your possession. And so the good feedback that I've received for that is that this, this book is, besides being yes, focused on lupus is applicable to many other people who do suffer through an autoimmune disease because it gets to the core of what I find is really, really important when it comes to you know, mental health and managing stress and what to eat and how to work out. Um, even travel is in there because traveling is such a big part of my life. I mm. wanted to make sure to put that in there too. It's beautiful. I feel like that might be helpful for me too. travel. I really struggle with, mm-hmm. go ahead. 
It's hard. Um, so going through this process and learning, it sounds like just about everything about lupus, um, what would you say someone that has been maybe recently diagnosed with a chronic condition or maybe maybe is going through a five-year trial now, going from doctor to doctor, mm-hmm. they know something's wrong, they've not been able to pinpoint what it is. Uh, what are some some uh, advice maybe that you have for people to feel better about what they're going mm. through, even though they feel terrible. Yeah, sure. Sure. I think the first thing is that we have to remember that in the end, we are our own best advocate. Your loved ones, they can come to those sessions, you know, your doctor's appointments, they can do what they can to support you. But in the end, you are the one who knows what's going on inside your body. And so what I often tell people here is to learn both your federal patient rights and your state patient rights because there's two different things and they're unique. For example, in North Carolina, by law, you are allowed to bring someone who is not your family member into the hospital as a designated person. You know, usually they're like, are you a spouse? And they're like, no. And they're like, well, I'm sorry, you can't come in. And I'm like, well, my patient right says that they're allowed to come in. So that's, you know, some of the first things that I would tell people. Um, The second thing I would tell someone that really ties into that as well is to really, really become so aware of your body. Know that in the morning, if you, it's hard to go to the bathroom, be like, what happened yesterday? What did I eat? Did I not drink enough water? Have that curiosity to your body. Now, we all think we have self-awareness, right? We're so good at this. But the fact is like 80% of us lack this self-awareness. And we can really do uh, a more concentrated effort to be curious about what's going on every single day with our body. Instead of just pushing, you know, oh, something's bothering me or I feel upset. Mm. Instead of sitting down and being like, well, what, what are you feeling? Oh, maybe it's jealousy. Well, why are you feeling jealous? You know, have that uh, that insight to to keep wanting to know what's going on with you. Beautiful. I was curious about participating in clinical trials. Mm, yes. Okay. Yes, I am just finishing up one now because I was. I seem to do a lot of them. I think this is my sixth one because I just got over COVID and they wanted to study mm. how we, we respond. Um, I started a clinical trial first when I was ten years old. Of course, I knew nothing about it. It was about cholesterol and I participated in it. And then when I moved from Tampa up to North Carolina, I knew I was going to be by Duke and UNC. And I thought, I need to be in a clinical trial. I know no one ever thinks that, you know, that's their thing to do. But I happened to get put in that mindfulness trial. Mm. And so I guess from there, and it was so good. It was very fascinating. Since then, I've just been like, all right you know, use me. I mean, what do you have? I have been through two different lupus trials so far, one with brain stimulation and one with nutrition. So I just think that lupus, as I was told when I was over advocating at Congress, lupus is decades behind when it comes to research, you know, like breast cancer, for example, they know a lot more. There's still a lot of unknowns with lupus. So if I can contribute my insight, my, my blood, uh, whatever you need to better help um, people, I mean, I am all for it. There is a big need for women. There is a very big need for women who are minorities. Um, certainly women who are minorities make up a large portion of the population with lupus. And most, a lot of times their symptoms are more severe. And so if if I can give something, uh, some type of voice to someone who feels like, oh, she did it and it didn't seem so bad, maybe I'll give it a try. I think that's a good thing. How old were you when you were diagnosed with lupus? You said it took about five to seven years to get the diagnosis, but how old were you? I was, for me, it took more like 20 years for a oh, diagnosis. Wow. I'm a very years. big outlier in the fact 
Um, when I was first diagnosed with Sjogren's, which was in roughly 2014, at the same time it said, I remember the test said 100% because they had percentages that I had neonatal lupus, which is a lupus that the pregnant moms give to the babies and the babies usually have it a short term and go away. And the doctor was like, you're not a baby. And I'm like, no, and no one ever looked at that again. Mm. So I, I can go back. There are 11 criteria that the American College of Rheumatology uses to diagnose lupus. You need to have four out of the 11 to be positively diagnosed. There is no one blood test that's like, ah, you were the unlucky winner of lupus. Mm. So it's up to the rheumatologist. But I can go back and see from all the way back to what, you know, that, that pregnancy where an issue showed up. I just would blame it on myself as a woman. God, I'm a beast on my body. I work out so hard. Yeah. Well, I would ask a dentist, what about all these mouth sores? And she's like, I don't know. The next year I'd ask again, she's like, maybe you're stressed. Or I'd be like, why is my vitamin D so low? I live in Florida. And they were like, you're using too much sunscreen. I'm like, well, look at me. I'll have skin cancer, right? All of these things separately just or maybe be like, eh, no big deal. And that's why I say you have to be your own advocate where I'm like, oh, hell no, something is wrong. I feel it in mm -hmm. my core. What is going on? And if one doctor won't tell you, ask for a second opinion, go to someone else, do what you have to do, claw. And I am scrappy as hell because it is me. You know, I, I have a family. I have, you know, me in addition to the family, but I understand the capacity. If I can help myself and I can heal myself, that will shine the light for so many other people to do the same for themselves. We have to advocate for ourselves and we have to trust that gut feeling I had the gut feeling I went through like four doctors. I had doctors be like, oh, that your TSH is fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, my thyroid hormone and or just keep saying, oh, whatever. And they're and then I had antibodies um, mm -hmm. and they were like, oh, no, you know, this can go up and down, whatever. And it's like, OK, but I it hurts to walk up the stairs and I'm 22 yeah. and yeah. I work out all the time. I eat organic. I'm doing like everything I can possibly do. What is going on? It's it's really so sad that, you know, it's just so sad. I, and as a provider, I would see that the same thing. I would refer patients to a specialist hoping that they would investigate a little more than what I can do, right? Because I'm in mental health. And then the yeah. patient will come back to me and say, no, they just said that nothing was wrong. I'm like, what do you mean nothing was wrong? Or there's they say this, lose weight. There's this test <laughs> yeah. and this oh, yeah, test yeah. showing that something's wrong. You're emotional. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the yeah. worst. And sometimes pa patients will go to a specialist and the specialist will treat them worse than a general practitioner oh, yeah. mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they have, they've seen so many worse cases mm -hmm. that now yeah, yeah, that little enough. that little outlier or that little bit of something to them it's nothing. Well, no, it's not nothing. It's just you're just your your compassion level is gone. That's what's going on. You're burned out as a specialist. You know? Yeah, yeah. So. it's so true. In fact, I I had a terrible rheumatologist. My current one is lovely. The last one who diagnosed me, she was terrible, but. It took months to get into her. And before I have my current one now, I was on an eight-month wait list. So I had to stay with Miss Terrible uh, Rheumatologist because I had no other options. And so I I mean, I would go into her. I would face her and be like, I had a terrible flare and I emailed you and you didn't respond. And I emailed you four times and I called you three times and I never got a response from you. This is not how you treat your patient. I need to you know, know. And she'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Here's my personal email. And that wouldn't do anything at all. And I wanted to push her, you know, push her to the ground. <laughs> or, I was just so angry with yeah. her. You, but I couldn't get anywhere. So, you know, in the same guards, I'm like, you know, 
I sound so you know confident, like be your own best advocate, but sometimes so hard. The reality is you have to settle for what you have while continuing that quest mm-hmm. and just knowing that we deserve better. But even in those situations, you still have a voice that doesn't always mean it's going to get exactly what you want, but you can, can continue to draw action. That's yeah, good point. So when you don't click with someone or they're not giving you the services that you want, maybe you start to search again for somebody else. And while you're on the wait list, you still go to that doctor for a while. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that's the uh, unborn side of the reality of managing a disease. And uh, I think it's important to say that my relationship with my physician is based on trust and respect. I trust and respect her. So when she tells me, hey, look at this, I look at this. She never tells me exactly what to do. She always leaves it in my corner. But in the same way, I have trust and respect to her. I don't yell at her. Um, if she hasn't done something that I want, I bring it up to her. I talk about it. And you know, I think it's this two-way street. We often think that our doctors need to be so respectful of us and do things to us, but I, they're also human people. And so we have to have this mutual give and take in a true relationship. It's very true. And we love when our patients do not yell at us and understand that, you know, we screw up too sometimes. And sometimes it's the healthcare system. You know, we're set set up in the system where we have patient after patient after patient after patient. And if you don't have a good assistant, then sometimes you get really behind on everything. And sad. Patients suffer because of that. Mental health side, it's, yeah, for the provider, it's very exhausting. Well, uh, where can our listeners find you? Ah, you can find me. I have a website. Did you know that the website amandache.com was available? And now I Woo-hoo! own it. It's so good. I know. It's Big perfect. surprise. <laughs> C-H-A-Y is how you spell my last name. The book is on Amazon and then also on Instagram at Amanda E. Che. That's perfect. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to share with like the last wisdoms uh, that maybe mm. you have yes. with our listeners? Yes, I would like to say that uh, one of the focus of the book is that I want people know, to know that they are not their lupus. Um, it's easy to define yourself like I'm Amanda, I have lupus, or I, I'm Amanda, I have Sjogren's or you know Hashimoto's or I have cancer, whatever it is, like we attach ourselves to these identities. I'm a mom, I'm an author, I'm these all, all these other things. But I really challenge people in the book and I challenge our listeners as well to think outside that because first and foremost, I am just me. And, you know, the deep down version of me is like the love that is unique to who I am. And so I I like to remind people that they are not their lupus. They're much more. And all these other roles that you may play in life line up behind you and you're right at the front. That's, I'm so happy that you shared that because I, I see it all the time. People sometimes identify so hardcore with their diagnoses that it leaves no breathing room to be a person. And I mm. hate that also like in mental health and in any, you know, uh, sci- uh, medis- medical field, we diagnose someone and we look at that person as the diagnosis. So now you're not Amanda, you're lupus, right? When mm. you come to my office. And I mm. I just hate it. I just, I don't even mm-hmm. like diagnosing, but but you have to, right? For a variety yeah. of reasons to give you a little bit more that shortcut and kind of like a summary of what's going on with a person. But but the truth is, like you said, first and foremost, you're Amanda and mm-hmm. you're an amazing soul. And you're going out there and and helping people. And lupus is just one experience that you're going through, perhaps so that you can help others connect to it and see it from different angles and help them fight through it. So 
Amanda, thank you for being you. Thank you. Yeah, nah, 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 go being me. Can't be anyone else. Thank yes. you. Well, we thank love you. you. And Thank we you. enjoyed so much this, uh, this interview, and we hope it helps our listeners. We hope everyone finds your book online. We love this stuff. I think so. it's great because yeah. mental health and autoimmune stuff, I feel like mm-hmm. the overlap is huge. Oh, yeah. Because for a while I was like, I'm just depressed. I don't know what's going on. Then uh-huh. I had a therapist be like, oh, take this antidepressant. And something just mm-hmm. felt so wrong inside. And I was like, but what about all these things on my blood test that are thyroids. Like I'm not a doctor, but my thyroid looks kind of messed up. And Mm -hmm. they're like, no, just take the antidepressant until you figure that out. And I just, something felt really off inside for that. And then I had a therapist say, maybe don't do that because you should make sure that you're the proper candidate for antidepressants before you go on it. Because I think she found a recent research that was saying there can be damage done if you don't truly need it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to push through, unfortunately. Like, I don't think that's always the best thing for everyone but that's what I did and actually when I treated and got my Uh, symptoms mm -hmm. under control I think low dose naltrexone helped me the most um oh yeah 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 yeah. and then my mental health got better and I and it was because the autoimmune stuff Mm -hmm. and so I just feel like there's a huge overlap there yeah there there's a I'm gonna call the chapter I'll look at the name there's a few chapters in there about mental health but uh this one's you emotional oh lupus mental fuckery oh yeah i love that <laughs> your, your big beautiful brain on lupus uh the it doesn't matter if lupus causes it or you know hashimoto causes it or or is the result of having it it doesn't matter because the end result is you deal with whatever's going on mentally in the brain and some of them are big you know having these diagnoses sucks <sighs> not what you don't want yeah. yeah it's a really big challenge yeah that's mm-hmm. yeah uh, well, this All right, so hopefully great. you're not Thank afraid you. of bad words. Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely not. Tell us some bad words. <laughs> Get those orgasms and sexy time on. I, 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 talk, I talk about, I'll give you a sticker. She likes sex jokes. That's wonderful. The big An orgasm a day keeps the rheumatologist away. Did How many? How many? Just one. Just one a At day. At least one. That's Minimum. Perfect. <laughs> and of course, you don't need a partner. I made sure to be like, you don't need a partner. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Maybe that's what I need. That'll keep my TSA. My big now. time will come in handy, you know, for those <laughs> yeah. times. I tell that to, you know, I told you my 23-year-old has lupus and she, you know, she's like, I feel really bad. I'm like, turn to that book I gave you. Turn to whatever, page 115. <laughs> oh, mom. Um, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. <laughs> It'll do something. <laughs> It'll yeah. help. She does not want to hear that. You know, it's it's amazing. Uh, when we were interviewing, um, goodness, um, where's her books? Megan Chance? Yeah, Megan Chance. She writes uh, kind of like historical fiction. It was amazing when she was writing about mental health treatment in like 18th century because they oh actually God, used, terrible. and they used like literally vibrators, basically, to help women with Hysteria. their- with their hysteria so really yeah so it's kind of like hey like you're putting in the book like hey a little big o can help with uh your mental health and that's true (laughs) but imagine how many of those ladies who were diagnosed with hysteria actually maybe had like an autoimmune disorder or something i know oh it's terrible yeah Yeah. there is uh, a lab in rutgers called the orgasm lab Ooh. oh i know right you'll read about it we need to write that down isn't that it yeah uh, they better pay a lot for that clinical trial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty um, interesting. Yeah, I know this. I thought you were going to tell me they talked about leeches and 
like yeah. bleeding, but instead so, they had their own vibrator. Wait a minute. The clinical trials on orgasms, The, the what's the lab called? Yeah. Well, where yeah, do yeah, I the, sign uh, up? Orga- I mean, I might want right to sign for, up for that one. I get right. no action yeah, recently, it, so. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. It, I think it's fascinating. Go. I'm like, wow. I love that. Yeah, I think pain decreases, if I remember, in people like 50%. I'm like, wow. You're going to go to bed. You feel terrible. Maybe you feel a little bit better. Maybe you sleep a little <laughs> bit better. Like, what harm there is you it? Go. Nothing. Right. Well, I think it's, again, like society teaches us like, oh, our, you know, private organs are for us and God doesn't want us playing with them, you know, and like all this. So, yeah. 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 I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't believe in that. In fact, I was the one parent who my daughters are still mortified that I told them at a young age to find their own joy. They didn't need someone else to find that joy, create it themselves and then let someone, you know, if you share, you share. Oh, well, let me uh, just share a uh, traumatic story for me. I was, <laughs> I, was, I was a little kid that was masturbating, right? Because it's like, well, you find that Your something kids, yeah. makes you feel good and you start doing it. I called it uh, leg twisting. Okay. <laughs> and then I guess my, my parents saw me one time doing it when mm. I was like five. And I, I, I guess I picked up at a young age, you know, this was like something to hide. So I was hiding oh, yeah, with yeah, that. Yeah. And then I was growing up in a Catholic country where we were taught that God's going to punish us, you know, and meanwhile, the priests were molesting the kids, right? But like we were penalized for like thinking that like something was giving us pleasure and doing it. Mm. So... Especially uh, so my, the women. Yeah. The boys seem to have so, had a pass somehow. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so true. So, yeah. so my mom, I guess, like sees that I'm doing something, right? So they don't know what to do because back then, I guess they are kind of like, what do you do? Like your kid maybe is doing something wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. So they bring me to our uncle who is like the oh, family guru, right? And they like <laughs> close the door behind. Mm-hmm. So they, the three of them go into a room. I know what it's about. I'm this five-year-old kid and I'm so embarrassed and ashamed. And I remember standing outside of that room and my parents opening the door and they're like, hey, we know you're listening. Go play. You know, like, mm. and I'm just standing there like my whole world shattered. I'm just so ashamed. Mm. And I just, I remember praying to God, just please kill me now. Like, I just want to <laughs> oh, die because I was so ashamed. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. And it's just so sad that, you know, it's like freaking masturbation. Like, Jesus, yeah. can you people like figure this shit out and not like <laughs> yeah. shame kids yeah. and people you for. You just say, go, please go do that in your room. Yeah. If you yeah. want to do that, let's just go keep yeah. the door closed. Why is it yeah. so difficult? It's still difficult for people to understand it's, yeah. that. Oh, it's still, yeah, it's, it's difficult. The funny thing is, um, I mean, some people about the book have talked about like the, the sex part, but most people are like. Yeah, mm. let's not talk about it. It, it right? is. Yeah, it's still, I mean, we've come a long way, right? But we did a long way to go. Still, still a long way to go. Yeah. But that story is uh, quite impactful. <laughs> Well, I hope I can help some masturbating kids out there feel better about this. <laughs> you haven't gone blind or have you grown an extra finger, you know, like your parents, you go blind. Or struck by lightning or something. Yeah, yeah. Struck by lightning. Well, it's amazing. I, thank you so much for writing the, the big O in the book and giving yes. people permission to like freaking go at it and like enjoy their sexual, you know, That's desires. Right. What do and, we care? Yeah. What yeah. Do, it hurts you love who you love. You do yep. what you want to do. None of these things should bother me. If they no. help you, they help everyone else. If it yes. helps lupus, we're going to do it. If it helps prevent right. lupus, just just tell us it helps prevent it and we're going to do it all the time. <laughs> That's right. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. Okay, so so do we uh, end this interview with an awkward laugh, like the evil laugh or something? She always says we just ha ha ha. Yeah, very true. Maybe we do. (laughs) Thank you so much again. Enjoy the rest of your day. We're going to find our dildos and uh, have (laughs) a fun day too today. So (laughs) pain free. Love this. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, ladies. Ciao. Bye. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha